Man, wow, it is good and crazy and weird and it's awesome to be back. It's, uh, people have been asking me, is it weird? I'm like, of course it's weird. Um, but it's, also, it's, also, it's weird because we haven't been here for so long, but also like you just kind of fall back into the groove of things, you know? It's like, it's weird the first time you get off the highway on-ramp on 77 to get off in New Philly and you're like, whoa, it's crazy. There's a new coffee shop there and a, there's a hotel by Hog Heaven. And then, and then the next day you're just driving around town and I can get to Wendy's by muscle memory, you know? So it's, it, it's, it's awesome to be here, but man, thank you guys so much. Uh, it's, good, it's good to be here with all of you. I've thought a long time, man, it's for a long time, I've thought about what the first thing would be that I would say to you guys is. And uh, after like years of thought, it's uh, go Browns, go Browns. So um, on a serious note though, uh, Judah and Brooke are not here this morning because Judah decided at 3 a.m. last night to get pink eye. Um, and so, yeah, that's parenting, isn't it? You know, there, I know there's like a few people expecting and so Yeah, that's, that's parenting. Um, we're expecting the second one, but you know, it, it's not always like that, but when it is, it's at the worst possible time. And so, um, but it, Brooke texted me this morning and he uh, um, isn't as in pain as much right now. So, but if you guys be praying for him and for her during the service, um, it's, we were at the fair yesterday. So, you know, T County Fair, like maybe... Pick up pink eye. That, that wouldn't surprise me, but, um, but it, was, it was good to be at the fair, though, too, and eat a lot of uh, awful food that I'm going to pay for for probably several days. Um, but, man, uh, it's so good to be back with you guys. Thank you. Well, I'll, I'll save that because I've kind of scripted my intro here because there's so much I could say, and I could just get off on a tangent. I don't want to because um, there's a lot to talk about this morning. But I, I'll be honest with you guys. I've, I've been nervous for this. It's weird. I mean, for one thing, I haven't preached without an interpreter for like two years. Um, and so like I get the whole time for myself today and I don't have to pause and wait for this guy to gibber uh, and repeat whatever I said in Hungarian. Um, and so that'll be cool. But it's been, it's been almost two years since we left and man, the world's a different place. You know, I mean, we, we left in the heart right in the middle of COVID, December of 2020. Um, it was a crazy time. You know, since then, our family's been through a lot. We've gotten older. We've grown. I mean, we're, dif we're just different people than two years ago. You're different people. I mean, I, I'm seeing kids who come up to me who are in high school, and I'm like, who are you? And they're like, I'm so-and-so. And like, oh, you were like nine the last time I saw you, and now you're like a young adult. And it's just, you know, everyone's different. I'm a different person. This church is different since we left. There's a different staff since we left. There's a different senior pastor since we left. And that's a good thing, I think. Um, but <laughs> part of me would love to be able to just walk in the back door after dropping the kid off and walking in the back and just sit down in my seat and sneak into our old spot in the pew and everything just be the same, like how it was. And I know that's not the case anymore, but, that, but that's okay, because change isn't bad. Um, Nick Roth might say differently, but change isn't bad. But even when it's good, you still miss the old times, right? I think it's, what's that office quote with Andy where he's like, man, I wish you could know, you know, when it's the good old days when they're happening or something. And I feel like that now because all the guys who are my age, who I remember going to youth camp with, like Corey and Nick Roth and Austin Cole was up here. I, we watched the Summer's End celebration. He was up here sharing about summer camp. And I'm like, man, we're all the old guys now. 
And uh, like we were like the 16-year-olds going to camp and doing really dumb things. And now we're like the old guys yelling at kids for doing really dumb things. And it's, uh, it's cool. And then all of you who were the ones yelling us for doing dumb things, you're like really old now. So <laughs> what, what a world, what a time it is. But it, let me just say that we've, we've missed all of you so much, uh, really. People in Hungary always ask us, like, what, what do you miss the most about America? And because usually when you talk to a Hungarian, if they speak any English, they're like, why did you come here? They're like, you know, they're like, you're an American and you're here, why? And um, when, when we say, when they ask us, what do you miss the most? It's always the same answer, it's people. That, that's what we miss, family, friends, this church, because the truth is, Budapest is home now. It really is. Like, everything that we do is there. My son goes to school there. He, he, when he goes to school with his friends, he speaks Hungarian there with them. And, like, we know uh, where to go to get groceries, and we walk a lot, and we're used to riding public transportation now because we live in a, in a big city. And, and so it's, it's not that I don't—I I don't really miss too many things about America. I mean, uh, it's people. Yeah, I mean, although sometimes, you know, I really do miss a good Sammy Sue's barbecue, like a good brisket or something. They just, yeah, barbecue's just not a European thing. They try, but they just, they can't. Um, but what we miss are people, all of, all of you guys, and it's, it's so good to see all of you again. I know I've said hi to many of you uh, already because we got back last weekend, but if I haven't said hi to you yet, man, come up and grab me after the service. We'll be here for a while. Uh, Brooks, our, our, our son is due, well, he's coming November 2nd because she's going to get a C-section. So, so it's November 2nd, the baby's coming, and then we're going to hang out through the holidays and go back sometime in January. So, so we'll be around. So if you, if you don't get to say hi today, or so, don't worry. We'll, we'll be here for certainty and, and all of that stuff. Um, but man, thank you guys so much for the warm welcome. And, and let me just first start by saying thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of our family. Thank you all for how you've supported us prayerfully, emotionally, financially over the last several years. It, it means the world to us, and I can't overstate that enough. Because when we feel alone in a foreign country, we know that we have hundreds of brothers and sisters back here praying for us, holding the rope so that we can do what God has asked us to do in Hungary. So thank you specifically to our prayer team, those of you who are on the prayer team. I know lots of you guys pray for us, but it's specifically our prayer team. Thank you guys uh, for praying for us every month, diligently, every day. And, and for those of you who read our newsletter each month, that, that goes out, and we just fill you in on what God's doing. Um, if you don't subscribe to that, you can. You can just go to our website. It's horvastohungry.com. You can sign up for our, webs, uh, for our newsletter. And also we have new prayer cards. If you guys want a prayer card with an updated picture, you can grab those at the, uh, at the welcome desk before you leave. Um, but man, thank you guys, seriously, so much for your prayer support, your, your financial support. I, I seriously mean that. Uh, most missionaries don't want to talk about money, um, and, and, and when they do have to, it's usually begging for more. And, uh, but I, I just want to tell you guys that like, of all the things we've had to deal with in going to the foreign field during a global pandemic, where by all accounts, we shouldn't have been able to get there, everything we had to deal with when we got there, the one thing we haven't had to worry about is money. You guys, the Lord is taking care of us ultimately, but this church has taken care of it. We haven't had to worry about that. So thank you guys. Pra praise God for you. Um, during a worldwide pandemic, during a worldwide economic recession, you guys continuously sacrifice of yourselves so that my family can have food and clothes and shelter and, and support the ministry that we're building. So if you've ever given just a single cent to our family, thank you so much. I, I see every person's name who gives to us on a monthly basis and I don't have words to express to you the humility I feel when, when I see those tithes and offerings. 
that support us. I, I've never taken that for granted. I never will. Um, it's especially touching to me when I see kids and, and teenagers' names and young adults who give of their money to our family and the work in Hungary. Lots of these young adults who I pastored when they were kids in middle school and high school, and now they're grown up, have their own jobs, and some have their own families, and, and now they, they give to our family to support us. And I'll never get used to that, but from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys. I, I see you, and more importantly, God sees you, and he sees your, your giving heart. Thank you guys. Let's pray, and then we'll redirect into what uh, we're going to look at this morning. God, thank you so much. There's, there's a million things that I could say this morning, but I want to say what you've put on my heart. I want to say what I feel like you want to say to this group of people, to this church, to my church family. And so, God, I just pray that you would uh, uh, center my focus on what the Holy Spirit, what the Word of God says, and I just pray that you would just put me aside, really, God, and, and that the Holy Spirit would take front and center stage and speak through my mouth using the Word of God, Lord. My opinion doesn't matter. Um, your word matters. That's all that matters. And so I just pray that you'd speak to us this morning. I pray that we'd have open ears and open hearts to hear and that not only that, we would be willing to walk out that, those doors and actually put into practice what we've heard and be doers of the word and not hearers only, God. I love you. It's in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. So this morning, I'd, I'd like to share with you what God's been doing in our lives over the last two years since going to Hungary. But also, this is church, so we're gonna preach. I, I hope that's okay with you guys. Um, and I just, I'm just not that good of a storyteller. So if, like a lot of missionaries, they're cool with just being the storyteller because they can't preach anyway. Um, it's, it's fair. But I, I, preaching is my, my first love. It's what I love to do. And so I'm gonna, we're gonna preach and we're gonna sprinkle stories in together and we're gonna see what happens. Hopefully it'll come together and look or sound decent. Um, I get asked a lot in emails and Facebook messages and Zoom calls and when people visit us, uh, hey, what do, you, what do you guys do every day? And, and that's a fair question because we, we don't have a church yet. Um, and some people might be thinking, well, dang, man, you've been there in Hungary 22 months. Like, you don't have a church yet. What are you doing? What have you been doing the whole time? And, and usually that, that question isn't asked in some sort of negative way. They're just curious. I didn't know what missionaries did all day uh, until I, I, I asked a guy, and, and, and especially ones that are going to the field and not joining a ministry that's established. If you don't know about our family, we didn't go and join an established ministry that's already there, because typically what that'll look like is you'll go join a veteran missionary, do language school, and learn under him for a couple years, two, three years, and then once you've got a handle on culture and language, then they'll send you out to do something. We didn't, man. We just, we, we just went. We've got a few people that we know, the Lord's been working, and, and we're just, we just went. And so that can make things even a little more difficult. But, but when they ask me, you know, what, what have you been doing for the last two years? The answer is simple. It's digging. Digging. We're, we're laying the foundation. And that's the theme of what we're going to look at this morning, is laying the foundation of ministry. And we're going to look at it biblically. I'm going to show you experientially what I've experienced in laying the foundation of a, a new ministry, like a pioneering ministry in, in another place uh, you probably already know this, but the church isn't a building, right? The church, by definition, is people. It's a called out assembly of people. That's what the church is. But at the same time, in the Bible, God uses buildings as a picture. So in type, the church is a building, right? So don't get lost. We just started. The church isn't a building, but it also is a building in type. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul tells us in verse 9 that we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. 
According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul says, listen, Corinthians, you guys, ye, that's plural, are God's building. And Paul, who is the prototypical missionary in the Bible and church planner, says, as a wise master builder, he has laid the foundation. And other people can build on top of that foundation, that's fine, but the foundation is the most important part because that foundation is Jesus Christ, nothing else. That's the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2 reiterates this point about the church being a building. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon, here it is, the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom, that is Jesus, all the building fitly framed together, growing unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also builded together, for an habitation of God through the Spirit. The local church is builded together of people, lively stones that is an habitation of God. 1 Corinthians 3, the temple of God is the church. The temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, is the New Testament believer. You have the indwelling spirit. But the church, that's the temple of God in this day and age. And it is built together with people. Builded together with people, like, like stones and two-by-fours, right, to create a building in type, which is the habitation of God. And that's all built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Now, let me tell you, foundation building is messy work, right? It's back-breaking work. It's slow takes a long time. We've got a lot of construction workers in, in our church, which is, that's awesome, my kind of people, man. Blue-collar, hardworking, down-and-dirty, manly men, Right? Guys who just dig in the dirt, pour cement, carry bricks, that's foundation work. It's hard work. It's not, it's not going in and doing the drywall and painting afterward. It's, it's, it's hard work. It's not for children. It ain't for lazy bums either. Just ask Dean Detweiler. You know, if he, if he hires you to lay bricks, you're going to work hard, man. This, this church building, actually, uh, maybe, I don't know how long you've been going here, but this church building was built in the 70s, and I actually got to work here, uh, man, 10 years ago or so now with Jake Salzner before he passed away. And Jake actually built, was one of the people who helped build this church building. And um, the reason why this church doesn't have a, a basement, and maybe you don't know this, I think it's interesting, is because it's built on a swamp. It's just really soft ground. And so a lot of time went into figuring out how they could like build this whole thing on a slab and just kind of float it on soft ground. And that's probably why they got the, the land so cheap back in the 70s. But, but it took a lot of time to, to figure out how that foundation was going to work because you couldn't just build, you can't build a building on even just regular ground, let alone on a swamp, right? Uh, the Next Gen Center over there, it's, I don't know, it's over five years old now, I think. I got to help with the planning and the building of that. And um, it took forever, if you guys remember, it took forever to get that project off the ground. There was months of planning, blueprinting, engineers consulting, and then they went and like dug holes in the hill to test the dirt and see what it was like. And, and, and eventually they, they brought out machines and started digging in the hill and excavating and preparing the ground so that they could then dig and pour footers and, and the foundation. It took forever. But once that foundation was done, that, the building flew up pretty quickly. But, but it, man, it takes a long time to get those footers because you have to get the foundation right. Have to. It's hard work. It's backbreaking. It's dirty. It takes a long time. But you have to get that thing right if you want a building to be sturdy and to stand on top of it for a long time. 
You guys all know the story, Luke chapter six. Jesus says, whosoever comes to me and hears my sayings and do with them, I'll show you what, to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. That's what we've been doing for the last two years is digging deep so that we can lay the foundation on the rock. And that's Jesus Christ. Well, what, is it, what does that look like in, in ministry? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's hard. It's dirty. It takes a while. But listen, if you're going to build something new, if you're going to pioneer a, a new work where other men haven't laid a foundation, it's going to take hard work and patience and diligence. Now, if you're going to go to a field and not mess with learning the language and just buy a building, throw up a sign, make a Facebook page, start holding services, steal other men's sheep, yeah, that, that doesn't take very long. You could do that. A lot of people do that. But that's not what the Bible asks us to do because real pioneering work is laborious, it's slow moving, and it takes time and reliance on the Lord. Romans 15, 20, Paul says, Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Now, typically when we read this verse, we think about, okay, we got to think about 1040 window and going to countries and people groups who have never heard the gospel, and that's fair. But like in today's day and age, it might be hard for you to think, well, I, where can I even go? Certainly there, those places still exist, but maybe think about it in a different way. Don't think about it as places, think about it as people. There are men and women all over this globe who live in cities with churches who have never heard the gospel. So rather than stealing other people's sheep or splitting churches and taking their sheep to start your church, which is lazy and stupid and you're a hireling if you do it, go out and find lost people and share the gospel, do the hard work and lead those men to Christ. It's not as sexy. It doesn't happen as quick. There's, you don't get to put a bunch of pictures in your newsletter and say we've got 50 people at our church have only been here a month. But that's what God calls us to do. So God calls us to, I don't think I can say sexy from the pulpit, I'm sorry. I, it's, been, it's been a minute, guys. You're gonna have to forgive me, all right? I used to be a youth pastor, so yeah. That's something a youth pastor would do. It's not just a location with no gospel witness, people with no gospel witness. So if you're gonna start a new work in a new mission field, not even, it doesn't even have to be a foreign mission field. This is where this can apply to you today. If you're gonna start a new work, let me show you from the Bible and, and I'll sprinkle in some of my experience here what, what's that, what that's gonna look like. We're gonna look at scripture and, 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 and I'll, I'll tell some stories as we go, but man, I'm gonna warn you. As we go here and we're looking at the Bible and, and, and I'm sharing some of the things we've experienced, it, this is real stuff, man. I'm not going to dress it up for you, okay? Like this, this, I'm your missionary. I'm not going to get up here and just be like, oh, missions is the greatest thing ever. It's an Instagram adventure lifestyle. This is, this is real, okay? No Instagram filters, no, no TikTok bullcrap. This is real work, right? Because men don't dance on TikTok. Men dig ditches and lay concrete. Take that for what you will. I actually wrote that in my notes. I thought it was a good line. All right, Matthew. <laughs> Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go ye therefore, Jesus says, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know what that is? That's the Great Commission right there, right? That's a call to go and to make disciples even to the uttermost parts of the world. That's a call to personal, spiritual reproduction. That's what that is. And 
physical things are always a picture of spiritual things. That's how God works and that's how he shows us things. And, and all healthy, the way God designed this thing is that all healthy, mature, living creatures reproduce after their kind. If you can think of an exception or you're someone who unfortunately couldn't get pregnant, that's the, that's the point of that rule is that if it's healthy and it's working by design and sin hasn't ruined it, naturally it will reproduce of its kind. That's how God designed it. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and look at the creation, right? God, after creating the whole world and all the creation and tells everything to reproduce after their kind, God creates man and woman and tells them to reproduce, right? Physical reproduction, in turn, is a, is a picture of spiritual reproduction. So who in here has kids? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure a lot of people have kids. Maybe you want kids someday, right? Well, I've got one son. He's at home with Pink Eye, and another one coming soon here in November. Well, what's the first thing you do if you want kids? Pray. Yeah, that's the right answer. You were thinking exactly what I was thinking. It's prayer. Number one, prayer is the answer, if you were thinking of a different answer, get your mind out of the gutter, we're in church. But, but that actually, joking aside, is the, the problem. Because often, our first thought is, what can I do to accomplish this task, right? And that's the carnal answer. I don't mean sinful, I mean physical, carnal. That's the physical answer, literally. Because if we want to have kids, the right answer is that we must first, there's kids right there. If you're wanting kids, just, I mean, that's, that's what you're in for. Not embarrassing you, promise. That's just what I was dealing with all last night. The right answer, if you want kids, is to pray and ask the God who gives life because he alone is the giver of life, right? That's the first step, and that's usually the step we, we skip right over and we start trying to do things our way and take things into our own hands and try to do it in, in the, the best of our ability. And when it doesn't happen, we wonder what I'm doing wrong. What you did wrong is you skipped over asking the life giver to give life. That's the most important part. So laying the foundation of ministry starts with prayer. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. You've got body, soul, and spirit right there in that verse. God is the giver of life, so we should be praying to him. So when we were trying to have our son Judah, it took over a year of prayer, and we, you know, his first kid often wondered, like, what are we doing wrong? But, but we were praying constantly. So let me ask you this. Take the picture of the physical to the spiritual. Spiritual reproduction, leading people to Christ so they'd be saved, how much do you want to reproduce spiritually? You personally, not this church, you personally. How much do you want to reproduce spiritually? How much are you willing to pray? How long are you willing to pray? Listen, I've seen couples and I've been a couple who prayed and prayed for a year or more for years and then eventually God answers that prayer, praise the Lord. But then when it comes to leading people to Christ, uh, well, I prayed for you know, a couple days and they still aren't saved, so you know. What are you going to do? And we lose heart so quickly. But when it comes to something we want for ourselves, we'll, we'll pray and pray and pray. Most of you guys know the story of Hannah and Samuel, right? Hannah in the Old Testament, she was barren, really wanted a child. And for any of you who have prayed for a kid and had one, I, we even did this, you know, forgive us. We, we had the shirt with the, for this child I have prayed, you know. But, but seriously, that's when, when you want a child for so long and you can't have one and you pray and pray and then God finally answers that prayer, it's such an amazing thing to, to see the fulfillment of God's promise that if you come to me and ask, I will give you. 1 Samuel 1.10 says that Hannah was in bitterness of soul 
and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid. I mean, this was the state of her soul when she desired a child. She was in bitterness of soul. She was weeping. She was afflicted because she had no child and that's all she wanted. And then when God answered her prayer in verse 27, she says, for this child I prayed and the Lord hath given me my petition, which I have asked of him. God heard her prayer answered by giving her a child because God is the giver of life. Psalm 113.9 says that he is the one who maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. And that's a reason to praise you the Lord, amen? And so when, why do we get this mixed up? We do that for the physical, but on the spiritual side, we neglect the importance and the responsibility and the first step that is prayer. One of my favorite authors is a man named E.M. Bounds, old school guy, Almost all the books he wrote were only about this theme of prayer. And so I, I just want to give you a couple quotes from him. He says, No man can do a great and enduring work for God who is not a man of prayer. And no man can be a man of prayer who does not give much time to praying. See, most of us realize, well, yeah, if I want to do something big for God or I want to do anything of worth in this life, I need to pray. But then we don't make the next logical conclusion. Well, you can't be a man or a woman of prayer if you don't actually spend time praying. We know it, but we don't do it. We need to be doers of the word, not hearers or even understanders only. He also says no person is a soul winner who is not an adept or skillful in the ministry of prayer. You can't do it without God because all you can do is flounder around in the flesh and you can do things. You take Facebook pictures and say this person got saved, that person got saved. Great. The only person who actually gives life is the Lord. And so we have to start with prayer. So when we arrived in Hungary in December of 2020, we got off the plane, had our masks on. Police took our temperature when we got there in the airport with that little laser gun. Looks like they're going to shoot you. And you're just hoping that you don't have a slight fever because are they going to just turn us, turn us around, send us back to America? Who knows? We clear that, get the green light, gave us all this paperwork from the police to fill out. Driver took us to our new apartment that we'd never seen before, only in pictures online. Our landlady met us there, showed us the empty flat with a, a bed, a crib, a TV, a couch, and a, and a dining room table. She gave us the key and she left. And I taped the bright red sign to the, our front door that the police gave us that said quarantine. And we were under police quarantine for 10 days. They rang the doorbell every morning to make sure we were in there. And the day we got there, after we finally got there, spent years chasing this dream of serving the Lord in this way. We finally got there after all this Finally had time to like collect ourselves and think about what we had, had done. And uh, we sat down with, you know, our then two-year-old son and thought, wow, what do we do now? <laughs> well, we figured out how to order some food and groceries online because we couldn't leave the house. And some of you guys actually figured out how to order from a Hungarian website and send us stuff. That was awesome. And uh, after 10 days, it was December 20th, five days till Christmas. I tried to get us a bank account and some cell phones, but it was too close to the holidays. So we got a little fake tree at Tesco, which is like German Walmart or something, and, uh, and had Christmas in our new apartment. And after the holidays in January, I knew it was time to get to work. Like, okay, we had a month to settle and get through the holidays, but now it's time to get to work. But everything was locked down. There were curfews in place at like 8 p.m. each day, masks everywhere. Nobody was really going out. It was the middle of winter. It was January. Everything was shut down. There were no stores open except for gas stations, grocery stores, and pharmacies. And most of those were, had limited hours. And it would only let so many people in the store. It was insane. And it was in the middle of winter, so you couldn't like just go out to the park, go outside and play. Like, what do we do now? 
Well, I'll tell you, my first thoughts were carnal, and I, and I don't mean sinful, I mean physical. What can I do? I, I could start knocking on doors. Oh, wait, COVID. Well, I, I, I could go try to talk to people on the street. There's not many people on the street, but oh, wait, I don't speak this language. One of the top five hardest languages in the world under Mandarin, Chinese, and Arabic. Okay, well, what else can I do? Um, I could do a Facebook Live and preach in English, and maybe some English speakers will find me. I, I could do this, I could do that. And then it finally hit me, like, wait a minute. You're thinking about what Kale can do. What does God want you to do? Right? It's kind of like that Mary Martha thing. Martha's running around the house like a chicken with her head cut off trying to figure out what she can do. And Mary had the better part. She just sat at the feet of Christ. And so I started to pray constantly, every day, hours. The first six months or so in Hungary, I spent several hours each day just in the word and prayer. And then I spent three or four more hours on Zoom after that learning Hungarian. And that was, that was my Monday through Friday for about six months. And I mean, it wasn't fun. <laughs> I'm not up here like, hey man, this was, I mean, it wasn't fun, but it's what God asked me to do. I feel like sometimes, especially for young people, I think this is a good lesson for you. Sometimes we romanticize serving the Lord as if it's gonna be the best adventure ever. And sometimes it is. But let me tell you, it, God uses a picture of the military more than he uses a picture of an adventurer in the Bible. God gives you your orders and he tells you what to do. It doesn't matter if it's fun, you just do it because he asked you to. Right? And so that's what we did for the first six months until things finally started to open up and we could go out. And I just spent those days, I begged God to teach me this language. I begged God to take the migraines away. I begged God to show me what to do. I begged God for direction. I begged God for lost men and women who would get saved because he alone is the life giver. If you're gonna lay a foundation and pioneer a work where no one else has laid one, you have to be willing to get down in the dirt and dig. It's not always fun. You study grammar on Zoom sometimes for hours on end. You spend hours on your face begging God for direction and begging him for people, praying that he, the Lord of the harvest, would send you seeking men. And that's point number two. After we've prayed, we've got to start seeking, seeking men. Seek, seeking men. Because once we start praying for God to give us fruit, then what do we do? Who do we share the gospel with? Every, everyone? I mean, Mark 16, 15 does say, go and you know, preach the gospel to every creature. But, but that's such a big general vision. Like, how do I do that? What do I do today, right now, right? And there's more than one right answer for that strategy. But, you know, just given the times that we live in and the circumstances around us, and we all live in a different context, you know, Budapest isn't the same as New Philly. What should we do? You know, should we stand on the street corner and just hand out gospel tracts to everyone? I mean, if you speak the lang same language, maybe that'll work. I, I'm not even against that. I'm just saying, but we should think about what is the most effective strategy for sharing the gospel. And when I was praying the first month that we were in Hungary, God gave me the vision for our family for the first year or two. If you've read our newsletters, you know that it was a simple twofold vision. It's, it was one, learn the language, and that's going to be ongoing for a while. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm no longer going to have to do Monday through Friday language lessons because I'm at an intermediate level, but it's hard. I'm nowhere near I need to be. So I'm, I'm going to be learning that language for several more years until I'm, you know, at an advanced level. So learn the language and then seek seeking men. And, and I get that second part from two characters in the book of Acts that we're going to look at today that if you've went to church for any uh, period of time, you, you've heard of these guys. Uh, it's the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. And it's Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. If you want to go to Acts chapter 8, we'll start with the Ethiopian eunuch. But these, these are two lost men, two Gentiles, that responded to the gospel. So let's just look at each one and kind of do a, a mini character study and, and see what was going on in their lives. Because there, there are some interesting similarities. 
So Acts chapter 8, and I'll read through this fast because you guys, you guys know this story. Starting in verse 26, it says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that I goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Esaias the prophet, or Isaiah. He was reading the scriptures. God said, go to this guy. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he, the eunuch, said, how can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. So who was this guy? Well, this was a powerful man in the government who was under this, this queen, Candace, but he was seeking truth. He was already reading the scripture and God sent Philip to this man because God knows the hearts and he says, Philip, go to that guy. He's seeking truth. And Philip got there and he was seeking and he said, will you help me? And that would be a crazy thing to happen nowadays. It doesn't seem like it does, but he was already, he was already seeking truth. He probably didn't even know what he was seeking, but he was seeking. God knew his heart and God sent a man of God to him. That's how it worked. God sent a man of God to a man who was already seeking truth. Guys, you know there are men and women seeking truth out there? There was at least 10 of them at the New Beginning thing yesterday. And God sent men of God and women of God to them to preach the truth. Where are those people in New Philly or where you live or where you work? Are you praying for them? That's the key. Remember, don't forget our first point. Don't just go out looking. Start by praying for them. Pray that God would send you to those seeking men and women. I have a story, and I'm going to keep it short because we have more to get through, but um, when we first arrived in Hungary, I knew we would have to take language lessons. So in December, I just started reaching out online, started Googling, looking for teachers, and plan we planned to start after the holidays in January. And we found a lady, long story short, she's like, yeah, that's fine, I'll, I'll do lessons with you guys. January rolls around, and I emailed her, and she ghosts me for like four or five days. And I'm like, what's going on? I email her again and she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Have you like looked anywhere else? Cause I'm super busy and I don't know if I can actually take you guys. And if you're in America, you'd be like super offended. Be like, what the heck, man? But there I was confused. I was like, okay, a Hungarian teacher who only makes her money from foreigners wanting to learn what, like a kind of a rare language, turned down two Americans, i.e. rich Americans, turned them down, which you know, we would have been paying her for at least the next two years. And I'm like, that is strange. That doesn't happen. So we started praying and Googling some more and Brooke found another teacher and I found this school that offered these, what they called super intensive classes. And they were Monday through Thursday, three hours a day on Zoom from zero to hundred kilometers per hour as fast as you can go. And so I was like, well, let's just do that. So I did that and it was, it was crazy, man. It, it was nuts. Um, all that to say, there was about 10 other people in our Zoom class and you don't really get a chance to meet them because at three hours you're booking through these grammar books. But you, you at least, we introduced ourselves, we knew each other's names and what we did for a living. Well, this one guy, his name was Pedro and Pedro was from Portugal. He was stuck in Budapest because of COVID. His girlfriend was, was Hungarian and he's like, ah, well, I'm here. I'll just take an intro to Hungarian class. 
And he emailed me after the eight-week course. I was going to continue on with the next level. And he's like, hey, I'm, I'm going back to Portugal soon as, as soon as things open up in like a month. I'm not going to continue on in the class, but I would love to keep in touch with you. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then at the end, it was like, P.S., I know you teach the Bible. I've been watching Jordan Peterson's lectures on Genesis and would love it if you could help me understand the Bible. What? I, guys, listen, I, I tell you, I was, I was like, I was, I was playing it cool because I, I was like a guy in high school who like you're texting this girl you really like and she's like, hey, why don't we hang out? And you're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And you're like, okay, okay. You're like, yeah, we could hang out sometime. Whatever. But in the inside, you're dying. Um, I was like, yeah, we could, I could show you the Bible, like whatever. And uh, he's like, what about this weekend? And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Because on the inside, you're like, I could be over there right now if you want. Ten minutes, I'll just drive to your house. It's <laughs> and uh, long story short, he did come over that weekend, and we started talking about the Bible and looking at it. And he's a really smart guy. He's a writer by trade and just super smart, super fluent English. Like, doesn't sound like a foreigner at all. Like, great speaker. And he could tell that I was just trying to give him some portions of the story. And he's like, Kale, I'm going back to Portugal soon, man. Why don't you just, I can tell there's, why don't you just give me the whole thing? I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, okay. So we started in Genesis and talked about the fall of man, loss of the image of God, all the way up to Christ, shared the gospel over about the course of two hours. And he just sat and listened the whole time. And he's like, man, thank you. That, I've got a lot to think about. He, he liked my, my Bible, so I gave him an English Bible that I had. And then, uh, and then I'm skipping some details. But basically, after that, he went back to Portugal. I haven't seen or heard from him since, guys. You're like, oh, that's a... That's a bummer of a story. I thought you were going to tell me you got saved and you guys are best friends now and Instagram lifestyle. No, it's not. But listen, I was the man of God that God moved to Budapest and he switched. Remember back to that part of the story? He pulled me out of this class. A lady already agreed to teach us and said, no, I need you in this class because there's a seeking man in this class that I need you to meet. I mean, that's, you can't make that stuff up, man. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. And I don't know if that guy got saved, but he got the gospel. God says in his word, if there are men who are seeking me, this is all Romans 1 and 2. You can go read it for yourself later. If there are people who are seeking me and they want to know more, it is God's responsibility to get them the light of the gospel. And then those people have the free will, whether they'll accept it or not. You just got to do what God asks you to do. You just got to be obedient. I shared the gospel. He took a Bible and he went home and I hope I'll see him in heaven someday. I may never see him again. But God put the man of God, sent him to the guy who was seeking and he got the gospel. That's the goal. That's the goal. May not look great on Instagram, but man, if you're obeying God, who cares? <laughs> All right, we got to fly. Uh, the second one, Cornelius, Acts 10. Acts 10, 1 through 5. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. Cool band name. And a devout man and one that feared God with all his house which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. So here we have a Gentile guy. He's not saved. Just judging by the, the, the time in, in the book of Acts, there weren't really saved Gentiles at this point. Not many. God had just started transitioning to go to the Gentiles, you know, not going to Israel anymore after Acts 8. And this guy was devout and he feared God and he gave of his money to all the people and he prayed to God always. He was a godly lost man. Still going to hell. But he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming unto him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he had looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. 
And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So you can read Acts 10 on your own because it's a long story. But basically what you have here is the converse of the first story. In the first story, you have a man seeking God and God sends the man of God to him to preach the gospel. In this one, there's a man of God seeking and praying to God and God sends him to the man of God to get the gospel. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that today there's going to be visions and signs and wonders for people to hear God. But I can tell you this. God and the Holy Spirit are real. And if men are seeking the general revelation of God, God will make sure and answer their prayers and get them the specific revelation of God's word. I don't know how he does it, but he does it. He does it. I'm not saying he's going to give them a dream and tell them. I, actually, I'm saying the opposite. He won't do that today. But God will send those men to men of God to get the gospel. It's amazing how that works. I'll give you another shorter story. Uh, th there's a young man. His name is Marcel. And uh, he, he might be watching this. We've got some, actually, we've got some friends in hung Hungary who are, who are watching this live stream, which is cool. So Vicky, Titus, Marcel, Bogi, Zalan, whoever's listening, cussing them. It just means thanks. Um, if I tried, I was going to switch to Hungarian there, but I'm like, nah, it's going to end up being bad. So, sorry, guys. Um, so, Marcel it was, is actually the, the older brother of a younger man that I led to the Lord a couple years ago in Hungary, and, and I'm good friends with. But I had never really met Marcel, maybe once or twice before that. And uh, in January of uh, this year, actually, I get a text on Facebook out of the blue from him. I, again, I'd never really met him before that just says, Kale, you need to disciple me. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I've been here for like, 13 months now and praying that God would send us seeking men. And I get a text from a guy I don't even really know saying, disciple me. What's, you know, now, you know, if, if I was ultra spiritual, I would just be like, of course. But I was, I, I'm a pessimist. I'm like, mm, what's going on here? And uh, so long story short, what I found was that Brett Bartlett had actually led this guy to the Lord several years ago while he was in Hungary. And he, he prayed a prayer with Brett and heard the gospel, but hadn't done anything since then. And he was texting Brett like, hey, man, I really would like to learn more about the Bible. And Brett's like, dude, we sent a guy there. His name's Kale. Text him these words. Say, Kale, you need to disciple me. And he will freak out and he will text you right back. And it was true. But anyway, what happened was I, I met with Marcel, had coffee. We, I didn't just assume that he was saved. I studied the Bible with him for about two months and did, did a Bible study to make sure he understood the gospel. And he did. And he really was saved. And so we have just this summer started discipleship and we're, he's my first disciple in Hungary. I prayed for that man for years and God finally gave him to me. Um, not because I was out looking, by the way, again, it was just because I was praying every day and he finally sent that man. He sent him to me. Notice that he didn't have a vision or a dream, but God was working in his heart and he sent that man to me so that he could learn the Bible. God does that stuff, man. Here's the idea. If reaching the world with the gospel overwhelms you, because it overwhelmed me when I first landed on the field, th just make it simple. Where's God already working? Where are the seeking men and women? The ones that God is already drawing to himself. And pray that God would send those people to you and pray that God would send you to those people and then walk in the spirit each day so that you can be sensitive to when those opportunities are in front of you. How many opportunities and open doors do you think we miss on a daily basis because we're too busy or we're not walking in the spirit or we've got other things to do? I mean, listen, same here, man. It's when you're in New Philly and you're just in your life, it's really easy. But then when, man, when you're getting paid to go to another country, you're like, I better make sure I'm more sensitive to these things. So I'm not even, I'm not saying I'm better than anyone. I'm just saying, man, when, when you're in your routine and you're doing your normal daily life, how often do we miss what God has asked us to do and what he's putting right in front of us? So that's what I did for the first year in Hungary. And 
We didn't see a lot of answers, honestly, in the first 12 months. But after a year, we started to see more open doors and more answers to prayers. After a year of putting in hours of prayer, you see that? And then that's when Marcel texted me and we got some other friends and some other opportunities, started doing ministry. We did some summer camps. But man, all of a sudden, about into a year of praying, God started sending people and we started building relationships. So that leads us to point number three. Eventually, after praying and finding some seeking men, you're gonna have to share the gospel. It's evangelism. It's some, now here's, this is interesting. At some point, this is just my observation, but at some point in evangelical Christianity, people started assuming that if we share the gospel, that people will just automatically get saved right there and then. And sometimes that happens. Praise the Lord, we had 10 people get saved last night. But listen, if, if we used to, we just think that like, or it's modeled or it's told us that that's what's gonna happen. And if it doesn't, that it was a failure. Like if you share the gospel and they don't get saved, like you failed somehow or something went wrong. I don't know when this happened, but maybe you felt that way. Because if you have that mindset, it gets incredibly discouraging when you continually share the gospel and people don't get saved. Or you continue to share the gospel with the same person and year after year after year, they don't get saved. You start to think, man, I'm no good at evangelism or, or, or I'm a failure. But are you? Listen, I just want to share with you quickly some, some, uh, some men of God from the 19th century who were the, the, the pillars of the modern-day missionary movement. Maybe you've heard of some of them. William Carey, who's considered generally to be the father of modern missions, was in India for seven years before he saw his first convert. Most people don't know that. They just assume that these men who were great men went to the field and people started getting saved. Seven years. Robert Morrison, missionary in China, seven years— there's like a weird pattern here with seven years, by the way. Seven years before his first convert in China and only personally saw nine more converts in the following 20 years of ministry. Adoniram Judson, my favorite guy to read about, his first American Baptist missionary. All these other guys usually came from England. First American Baptist missionary, seven years in Burma, modern day Myanmar, before he saw his first convert. Robert Moffat, nine years before he saw his first convert in Africa. Samuel Marsden, 20, year, 20 years in New Zealand before he saw his first convert. Samuel Zwemer, a missionary to Muslim peoples, personally was only able to lead 12 Muslims to Christ in 40 years of ministry. Are those guys failures? Were they bad at evangelism? These men are the forefathers of modern missions. They were obedient to what God asked them to do. And the results were whatever they were. But you know what they did? They laid a foundation so that men like me and other men could go and build on what they built. And then, I mean, there are still places named in, in the parts of the world after Hudson Taylor and these different guys because of what they did in the parts of the world. They were, they were, what's the word? Ditch diggers. That's what they were doing. They were digging ditches. They were pouring cement. They were laying foundations. They didn't always get to see the fruits, but they laid the foundation. They did what God asked them to do. And so my point is that evangelism isn't something we can put into this 21st century American Christianity microwave and just get instant results. And if you do, chances are it'll probably look and taste like it came from a microwave. It takes time, guys. It takes years of patient, diligent prayer and seeking and evangelism. And that's why we have to be diligent and hardworking and being about our Father's business. And, and that's why I think, just for me personally, one of the best or, or the most effective strategies for evangelism today is something that everyone could do. We just usually call it like friend faith fellowship. It, and it's the idea that you start by seeking sincere friendships with, and relationships with people. This is what we've done in Hungary. 
Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? It's a, a cliche that we say, but it has truth to it. When you build sincere relationships with people, it gives you open doors to speak love and biblical truth into their lives. That's what we've been doing for almost two years. Building real relationships, it takes time because people can smell if you're fake. So actually caring about people and building real relationships, it takes time, especially in Central and Eastern Europe, let me tell you. People are just more closed over there. And, and during the building of these friendships, people watch you. Let me tell you what happens. They watch you. They do life with you. They sit down to a meal and they watch you and your family pray before you eat it. And eventually they join in and they fold their hands. And then the next time they're waiting for you to pray before they eat because that's what we do. They see you put your kids down to bed and go in each night and pray with them. They're watching. You guys know who Mickey Kofor is, missionary in Mongolia? He told me once, he gave me some of the best advice. I was asking him, man, what do I do when I get there? It's like the dog chasing the car. What, when you finally catch it, what do you do, man? And he said, Brother Kale, that's how, that's how Mickey talks. Brother Kale, let me just tell you, man, when you get to the mission field, just live, man. You're a believer and you're praying. Ministry will start because you're a believer. You can't help it. And I'm telling you, man, that works. So you're praying every day. You're praying for direction and guidance and seeking men. And then you find some people. And, and you assume that God is sending you seeking men because that's what you're praying for. And so you start to build friendships and relationships with them. And they watch you do life. And they join you and hang out with you. And they watch you and they talk with you. And then you have a miscarriage. And you lose a baby. And they, and they tell you, I don't know how to pray, but I'm, I'm praying for you guys and the baby. They watch you as you build sincere relationships with them. And you look and you pray for opportunities to share your testimony, to share the gospel. Maybe you have actual intentional Bible studies with them if they're interested. But that's the friend-faith friend part. You move to faith because you're sharing the gospel intentionally with them. Anytime the opportunity arises, constantly, intentionally looking for those opportunities. You're not forcing it in. You're just doing life. And when God answers the prayer, you, you take it. And then ultimately, friend, faith, fellowship. The goal is to lead them to the Lord. And when they get saved, you bring them into the fellowship of the church with other believers. In this context here at FBC, you bring them into fellowship here. In the context of missions, you're, you're building the church. So it looks a little different. But that's where we're at right now. We're, we're currently emphasizing to all our friends how important Christian fellowship is and why we need to start a church and why it would be so good and fulfilling for them. And, and several of them are really excited for it. And so... Uh, that's, I mean, that's what we're looking forward to, to actually doing once we get back in 2023. The last point um, is, is really not something I'm going to expound on because we know it. Um, the way that you lay foundation and, and really pioneer a work in an individual or a, in a new place is you start by praying and seeking God and then you seek men you seek seeking men and then you share the gospel, you evangelize, and then discipleship. I mean, our church is built on that idea and that philosophy of discipleship. Ultimately, it's, it's, it's the last step of laying the foundation, but obviously it's the continual work of the church once it's planted, right? That's the goal, to birth new believers and grow them up to walk with the Lord and produce more believers. And we're just starting this phase. I told you guys, I have one disciple. His name's Marcel. He's very early on. And what's really fun about working with new believers in a new place who grew up on church is they just don't know anything. And it's so much fun because you're not, you're not, working through baggage of incorrect doctrine or legalism or anything. It's just, they don't know and you teach them and then they know because they're your kid. You know, it's, it's, you're raising them, you're teaching them the Bible. And it's, it's, it's hard, but 
it's hard work, but it's, it's fun, and it's, it's so fulfilling to do what God has asked you to do. So please pray for my disciple Marcel, his fiance Bolgi, and his brother Zalan is, actually, is also saved. So just pray for them and their family if you would. In total, we've got about seven or eight close friends who are interested in the Bible and, and what we're doing. I, I have another two or three friends that I consistently hang out with that I am attempting to share the gospel with. And all these people obviously have friends and family you know, who are lost. And once saved, they could be a light to. And I've made some other friends through disc golf because that's what I love. And so I found this small group of guys who disc golf and, and you know, infiltrated that group so that I can love on those guys and make relationships. And that's just, that's my life right now. You're just investing in people and you're seeking, seeking men and you're praying and you're learning grammar and, and you're doing all of these things. And it's all very promising, but it's still just part of laying the foundation. It's just pouring the footers, sowing the seed, watering it. Foundational ministry is hard work. It's, it's tiring. It's, it's often discouraging. It requires patience and diligence. And, and man, it's a sacrifice. It really is. You know, I, I don't say this for, for sympathy, but, but just so that you know, and young people, so that you know the realisticness of, of missions. We've missed a lot of stuff while we've been in Hungary the last two years. Family and friends and pastors have passed away and went home to be with the Lord, and we couldn't be here for that. Um, friends have gotten married and had babies, and we missed it. Our son has grown up away from family. He's lived in Hungary almost longer than he's lived in America at this point. So that's what I mean. It's, it's not just like an Instagram adventure lifestyle. It's, it can be hard. But the balancing point is that it's worth it, right? He is worth it. The souls of men, of Hungarians, are worth it. And for me, standing before the judgment seat of Christ one day soon, knowing that I've done whatever God asked me to do, regardless of result, I've been obedient, I, I did what he asked me to, that's worth it. Producing fruit that abounds to your account is worth it. And as we're, as we're wrapping up here, I, just, I want to share it with you from Ezra chapter 3. In Ezra, they're rebuilding the temple, right? They're going back to the land and rebuilding the temple. And in Ezra chapter 3, they've laid the foundation. And it says in verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he's good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord. Why? Not because the temple had been built. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. So the foundation in Hungary isn't yet completed, but it's moving along. I believe that God has shown us that in 2023, our main goal for the year is focus on finishing the foundation and get the church planted, however long that takes. Building into our core people that he's given us, starting to meet regularly for worship and Bible study, and obviously continuing to learn the language. But church, I just want to tell you, we can praise the Lord because the foundation is being laid in Hungary. It's not finished yet. Maybe the concrete is setting. I don't know. But it's, it's getting there. The building isn't there yet, but we can see a glimmer of it. We're getting there, and that's thanks to you. That's thanks to you guys holding the rope, your faithful prayer and giving. And listen, I could end here and be on time, but I'm not. I'm sorry, because I, I, gotta, I was a youth pastor here for a long time. I was in youth ministry for years, and, and I just got to say to the young people, can I ask you a question? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? I know this isn't a missions conference, but we're here now, so we're just going to do this, okay? It's, do you really just want to do something so that you can make as much money as possible? I, listen, I know not everybody is cut out for it, but man, there's work out there if you're willing to pour footers for the Lord. There really is. 
I, I know not everyone's cut out for that kind of work, but who's here who wants to do something big, something hard for the Lord? You don't have to go to Europe to do it. Matt Brocker's down in Columbus doing it, laying foundations, building buildings, spiritual buildings. There's a missionary named Nate Saint. Do you guys know who Nate Saint was? He and Jim Elliott and his team uh, in the 1950s went to a tribe in Ecuador and they were killed by the men they were trying to reach. By, they, they killed them with spears in, I think it was 1956. And Nate Saint, before he died, check out this quote. He said, people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we would waste our lives as missionaries, but they forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they've wasted. So listen, man, this is my call to all blue-collar Christians. This is a blue-collar town. Y'all are blue-collar people like me. Who will forsake their comfortable American lifestyle in order to lay foundations where no one else yet has laid? It's gonna be dirty and difficult. It's gonna be hard. You're gonna sweat. You're gonna bleed. You'll probably cry. You'll miss people. But it's worth it. I'm telling you guys, it's worth it. Jesus says in Luke 18 that there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come everlasting life. Jesus promises if you lay down your life for him, he's got you. And by the way, he already laid down his life for you. So it's our reasonable service. Maybe, maybe you think you're just not capable, that you aren't talented or smart enough. Oh, that's the beauty of it, man, that you don't have to be. None of us are. He's the one who does the work. He gives the increase, but he needs willing and available vessels to use for the work. So let me ask you, how about you? Are you willing? Are you available? There, there was a missionary to China, a single woman actually. Her name was Gladys Aylward. And she once said, I know I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done in China. I don't know who it was. It must have been a man, <laughs> a well-educated man. I do not know what happened. Perhaps he, he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Aylward and God said, well, she's willing. Are you willing? Are you able? Not, not able, are you available to do something for the Lord? Because he'll make you able. Will you go? Maybe you can't go. Listen, I understand. This is, I'm not just trying to convict everybody that no matter your age or where you're at in life, you need to go to the field. Young people, I am saying that. <laughs> but everyone else in here, listen, there, there's another good quote. I know I'm sharing a lot of quotes, but I've had two years to think about this. So just, we'll get there. All right, we're almost done. We're landing the plane. I read in a book recently that all Christians must pray. Most can give and some can go. So where are you at on that list? All Christians must pray. That's, that's, not, even a, that's not an option. We must pray. Most can give and then some can go. Where are you? Which of these are you doing? Because we're all in this together, church, right? In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said that we're laborers together with Christ. He says that Apollos uh, watered, I planted, but God gives the increase. It, he who plants and he who waters are nothing, but it's God who gives the increase because we labor together with God. So I just want to, in closing, say thank you all for laboring together with us for the last two years. Thanks for holding the rope as my family seeks to do this in Budapest. And, and Lord willing, should he tarry, in five or ten years, there's going to be a fruitful church in Budapest that makes disciples, trains men, and sends them to lay foundations all over Hungary, all over Europe, and all over the world.